Welcome to the fifth episode of Talking with Frankie. Today we talk about ISP, the Ignatian Spirituality Project, which is retreats for men and women who are in recovery from addiction and who have experienced homelessness. So we have in studio Kevin Kelly, who is a Jesuit, a deacon, director of ISP Toronto and facilitator on the men's ISP team. We have Valerie Walsh, recruiter for the women's ISP team and facilitator on the women's ISP team. And Sarah Rudolph, Loreto sister, a facilitator on the women's ISP team. It is an honor to receive you today, guys. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Great. Thanks, Frankie. It's great to be here. I'm well, too. Thanks, Frankie. Okay, so welcome. So, Kevin Kelly, what is the Ignatian Spirituality Project, ISP? Well, as you mentioned, it's um, retreats for men and women that are in recovery from addiction. Um, and in most cases, all of them have experienced uh, homelessness. They have lived on the streets in Toronto, um, and they're now in a place where they've left that uh, reality, uh, at least into a, a temporary shelter, um, and they are following a path of recovery. Okay. And where and when did it begin? The, pro, uh, the program uh, started in the United States. It was in Chicago, started oh, okay. by by a Jesuit named Bill Creed. Um, he had a team of people working with him uh, almost over 25 years ago now. Um, and they've been running retreats across the U.S. in 30 different cities. Right. Um, ISP Toronto is the first uh, city outside of the U.S. Okay. So when did the project begin in Toronto? We started in 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had a, um, a year kind of figuring things out, getting a chance to meet uh, men and women at, at shelters, um, a chance to uh, see where we would hold the retreats, um, and then uh, we started to recruit individuals to come to our retreats. Our first retreat was in the fall of 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it was a real experience getting there, and I know I'm sure others will be talking about the, the challenges of just getting a program like this off the ground. Right. Um, but it's incredible when you've got a good team how you can work through the logistics and the administrative things and really very quickly move to um, doing what we wanted to do, which was help and serve these individuals. If I could just add to that to yeah. say that that first year in, in 2015, before we had a retreat, uh, we spent a lot of time recruiting us, the, right. the team, and teaching us about ISP and what the ministry was about, and then being trained ourselves in uh, in going, being facilitating retreats. Oh yeah. So, and talking about the team, who comprises the retreat team? How many members? Oh gosh, um, I'm not sure. We're we're, we're 16 now. Oh, 16. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, growing to uh, a couple more. Okay. Um, we've got a team of um, men and women that uh, come from primarily Regis College, which is the... Like student or...? Yep, students. Okay. Um, for example, Valerie, uh, Sarah, and I are all students at Regis. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our other uh, facilitators are, are spiritual directors and have done a program at Regis College. Um, we also have men and women uh, that are... Uh, from outside of Regis that okay. we've connected through that have experience maybe with programs like Out of the Cold or have a background in social work or a background in addiction themselves. I will ask Valerie, who comes on the retreat? Can I just say one thing? Just about our evolution as a facilitation team, I think yeah. it's been really important over the last 
I guess, three, four years. Okay. As we have grown in our ability to give these retreats, we've also grown in our ability to be a support to one another in community in terms of facilitators. Right. And that's something that has come out of our, we had a planning session, you know, about a year ago together. And something that came out of that that was really important was that we are just as much about supporting each other as we are about supporting our retreatants. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Valerie, who comes on the retreat? We have a fairly uh, specific criteria for people coming on the retreats. Okay. Uh, To begin with, they need to have experienced at least three months of sobriety. Okay. Most people have been homeless, but it's which means or includes precarious housing. So they may have left relationships because of abuse or they may or may not have lived on the street, but all of them have at some point or other been in treatment programs right. and uh, and are in transitional housing. Uh, they need to be have reached a point of a certain stability uh, emotionally and physically. They need to be at a place where they're able to talk about their own story now and uh, as much of their addiction as they want and abuse and other parts of of their lives. And they also need to be in a place where they can uh, listen to others and listen to their stories and uh, without jumping in, you know, without without, well, I can save you, you know, Mm -hmm. but to listen, to become community. And the, the, I'd say the last and very important criteria is that they be able to be with a diverse group. Okay. And so that will include uh, religiously diverse, culturally diverse, and sexual orientation is, is, uh, is big for us now and particularly in, within that population. That uh, sexual identity, uh, gender transitions, they, they need to be able to be free in that environment. Okay, and how do you engage their participation? Well, I recruit for the women's team, okay. and so my, my biggest uh, experience my, in that area is when I, t- I talk with each individual woman as uh, in the recruitment process, and I find as I begin to tell them about the retreat and yeah. uh, you know what, what happens on a retreat and why we invite people on retreats, they kind of sigh and say, you know, with all of the things going on in my recovery, uh, I've kind of lost touch with the spiritual aspects of recovery. Okay. You know, I've been worried about getting away from an abusive relationship. I'm, I'm concerned about my 12 steps. I've got a family at home. The CAS is involved. And I've kind of forgotten, and I know that this is going to reconnect me with, uh, or the idea of this reconnecting me with, with my higher power or God. Uh, and my recovery journey is really uh, en- enticing. Okay, I'll, I'll maybe just add on that yeah. um, it's it's a little bit more challenging on the women's side finding the re- uh, retreatants, as as Valerie mentioned. It's it's a lot more um, hands-on meeting the women. The women tend to have have had an experience of abuse, like was said, and and really they're the places where they live now um, are often not easily accessed for good reasons. They, they need to be far more private. The men's side, it's a little different. Um, the men, we typically recruit from three different treatment centers. Okay. So these are, again, men that have been sober for a, a month, have gone through detox, have been in a first level recovery, and now have moved into a house that they'll probably be in for about a month, oh, sorry, for about a year. Okay. Um, and we go and meet with them at these different locations. And um, very sadly, these are very full locations. There's often, 
50 men sometimes in some of these houses um, or in the the different houses that one organization will run. So there's always retreatants for us. To begin with, there aren't as many um, transitional housing spaces for women as there are for men. Mm -hmm. So I uh, have developed relationships with some of the treatment programs and they will recommend or refer women who are alumni of the treatment itself. Okay. And they uh, and so some of those women are at home and they could live as far away as Barrie or, or um, uh, you know, Picton or they can be anywhere in Ontario because they've had to come to the city for the treatment program. Some of them are in transitional housing or what we know more uh, with the women is that they're in, um, in houses of sober living. Um, now we're beginning to get, and, and it's, it's really it's intriguing to us because we're starting to get people referred by other retreatants, yeah. and we're following up with them. Uh, we have a little bit of a challenge there as assessing ourselves whether they're ready because we don't have a counselor necessarily involved. Right. And, um, and just interestingly, recently we've had a man who has been connected through a... Um, a, a transition to, through his transitional housing, refer his wife, okay. who will be coming, who also has issues with addiction. Okay, okay. So, Sister Sarah, what happens at a typical retreat? So, just first, when we think about making a retreat, what it means is that we're taking time out from our everyday routine, our day-to-day lives, and we're setting a time, so setting aside time to spend with God in contemplation and reflection. Okay. So, the ISP retreat, as Kevin, I think, has mentioned combines Ignatian spirituality and 12-step principles to create a space where facilitators and retreatants can come together to encounter God. Right. So really it's about encountering God wherever we are on our journey of recovery and however we're feeling in that moment of the retreat. Okay. And in terms of the format, so we have a two-night retreat. We begin on Friday afternoon okay. and we end on Sunday afternoon. Okay. And the first, there, there are a number of movements that comprise the retreat itself. And the first movement is the movement from loneliness to community. And that's really the foundational piece for, for the retreat. And it actually begins before the retreat itself happens, like so before we meet at the retreat center. Okay. It happens when we meet the retreat. And so the facilitators uh, serve as drivers. So we drive our retreatants from Toronto to our retreat center. And it's on the drive that we start to get to know each other. We start to build relationship. Okay. You know, sometimes we'll stop, we'll have a coffee together. And it's a really important part of, of the retreat because it means that nobody comes into the retreat alone. Okay. They come in knowing at least one other person, but probably two or three other people. Okay. So they have a sense of community already. Right. And then that evening, the Friday evening, we deepen that experience by getting to know each other better. And then the next day, it sets us up to go deeper into our story. So on the Saturday, we have this movement from, uh, from fear to trust. Okay. And then we move into a space where we can share our stories more deeply. We have a witness talk. So we have a past ISP retreatant that comes and shares their journey. Um, so they talk about their struggles with addiction and homelessness. They talk about their recovery. And they really bring a sense of hope, I think, and, and renewed energy to the retreatants on the retreat. Okay. And then from there, we move into um, a ritual for healing. Okay. And the men's and the women's team each have a different ritual that is, is best suited you know, for, for their group. And so the women's team, we use a ri- we have a ritual that involves uh, broken pieces of, of clay. Mm-hmm. And then the men's retreat team, I think they use a ritual that involves fire. But, you know, regardless of the ritual, it all involves the same kind of principles that we're offering up to God, whatever sort of painful memories we might have, 
um, maybe broken relationships or very specific incidences that we want to give to God for healing. And so our retreatants come away from that experience feeling a sense, I think, of of, of peace, increased peace within themselves, right. a sense of, of, of healing, and I think a, a new sense of hope in terms of their journey forward. Okay. I would like to just add a, a little story into what you've said, Sarah, uh, about them co- building community on their mm-hmm. way. And uh, just I was driving three uh, to our women's retreat, and we were about five minutes away from the retreat house when one of the young women in the back seat said, oh, my counselor told me that I have to tell you that I have PTSD, and sometime I can can really go into just a state, and I need to tell you what to do. Mainly, I need to tell you what not to do. If I go into a state, don't touch me. And so there's an example of that community building on the way to the retreat. Exactly, yeah. I think that part of the trip is so important, too, because people start to reveal some of their fears. In this case, this woman struggle with some mental health issues. But it's also a chance where some people say, you know, I'm not sure I believe in God. Um, I understand this idea of higher power because we talk about it in 12-step, but I'm still struggling to really know if there is a God. So we start to welcome people into where they are and and accommodate and and help them realize that we're all on a journey and that they don't have to be on the same journey as somebody else that we can we can support them and care for them and them for us in wherever we're at yeah and and sister sarah where do you hold the retreat we hold our retreats at at villa saint joseph in coburg ontario okay and it's a retreat center run by the sisters of saint joseph in canada Oh, okay. And it's it's really it's a beautiful retreat center. It's this historic home on the shores of Lake Ontario, so that means that our retreatants can go down to the waterfront. Right. They have a large property, so there's space to go walking around to really get in touch with nature. They have organic gardens. Okay. And so retreatants are actually invited to go in their spare time, which is not a lot, but they have some time that they can go and actually work in the gardens if they wish with the Sisters of Saint Joseph as well. Um, and so it's really, it's, it's a very welcoming and homey space. The sisters provide incredible hospitality. And our retreatants comment on the comfort of the rooms because they're beautifully furnished, they're very cozy. And the quality of the food too. They have home-cooked meals, you know, for the, the duration of the retreat. And they always comment on there's blueberry pie every time we go and okay. everybody loves the pie. Yeah. <laughs> so it really, it, all these things add up to make it a really special exactly. and sacred space for right. a retreat. So yeah. it gives them security and comfort to go deep into their stories and to really um, to, to, to experience renewal in their lives. Yeah, and I have to ask you, and how are those retreat finance? Right, so there is a significant cost to the retreats. Yeah. Um, it's about $350 per person okay. or, or $5,500 for a retreat. Okay. And there is no cost to the retreatant at all, or to the facilitators actually. Okay. So the full cost of the retreats are covered by the ISP annual budget. And that annual budget is made possible by the generous donations of a number of religious congregations, including um, the Scarborough Missions, the Bazillion Fathers, the Loretto Sisters, and the Sisters of St. Joseph. And we also received a grant from Porticus International, as well as donations from a number of individual donors. Okay. So, Valerie, what does the ISP team hope to accomplish by offering those experiences? In other words, what are the goals of those retreats and supporting this audience, Valerie? I don't think it would hear you, uh, surprise you, Frankie, to hear that the retreatants come uh, or uh, in their journey, they have been sabotaged um, by addiction, by yeah. homelessness, by yeah. trauma. 
and coming on the retreat is a time for them to be reminded that they are loved regardless and that the the God that we know and the God that they're um, reconnecting with uh, through the 12 step program and being reinforced here in the uh, on the retreat is the God that loves them where they are and so we we talk in terms of the retreatants having done the first three steps of, of the of the 12 steps they may be f- much further along than that individually but um, in the first step they have recognized that their lives have become unmanageable they've they've hit the bottom. They've, that would be step one. Step two, that they can't depend on themselves to get out of this mess. And number three, that they're ready to surrender themselves to a power that's higher than themselves. And so through the retreat, some of the things that Sarah outlined in the, in the movements in the retreat, uh, through having that, uh, that space and that encouragement to connect with their brokenness, uh, to connect with uh, their fears to connect with little baby steps that they've taken in, in trust, uh, in trusting, mm-hmm. uh, but also to have had the time to be encouraged to pray, to be encouraged to be silent, to be withdrawn from their business, busy, busy and frenetic, kind, noisy lives in the city to this place of quiet, that they are... Um, they're renewed in in their kind of um, trust that God will help them move on through their steps and in their recovery. Sure. If, if I could just add into yeah. that, I, I think there are many services that seem that are available to to men and women living on the streets. Okay. Um, certainly, social work and and recovery programs, but none of these really deal with what's foundational or core to the the what we would call a spiritual malady in the 12 steps, which is uh, a deep, deep sense of void that no drug or alcohol or whatever the addiction fills, that that's a, a loss of God or a desire for God even. And where ISP meets these individuals is where no other program that's supporting them meets them, which is in that space, helping them to realize, just like Valerie said, that they're beloved of God and that regardless of of the experiences that they've had or the choices that they've had, they can always come back to God and experience God's love new um, and and maybe more fully in a recovered way. And Kevin Kelly, how have those retreats impact those you serve? We all have many examples. Yeah. Um, one that comes to mind uh, for me is a, a a man named Aaron, who who in fact started on a retreat. Okay. Um, like Sarah said, he was a witness at one of our retreats, which mm-hmm. means he um, it, it gave his story um, v- in much more detail as a way of inviting in others to share. Um, but his desire to grow um, and in a spiritual journey, realizing he's being called to more, he's now part of the facilitation team. Um, so when I look at that is an example, um, and I'm sure Sarah and Valerie will have others, but it just shows that sometimes it's it's just knowing you are loved and realizing that deeply, as simple as that may sound, right. um, but also knowing that a community is there to support you is is what it takes to, to take that next step. Yeah. Do you want to add something? 
I can just add my own experience of the retreat, sort of yeah. the impact it's had on me. Mm. And for me, being part of the facilitation team has been a very healing experience for me in terms of my own past. Growing up, my mother struggled, well, when I was growing up, my mother struggled with alcoholism. And when she died in 2003, she had just started her process, her journey of recovery. And so I was left with a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of unresolved um, emotions and things that um, I just carried around with me for, for a number of years into my adulthood. And being part of this retreat experience has helped me to um, better appreciate my mother's experience. So for example, a couple of years ago, I was on a retreat where there were three women who are mothers with daughters. And they spoke very tenderly and very deeply about their relationships with their daughters okay. and the impact that their addictions had had on their relationships and, and in fact that they were they were very strained and broken relationships. And um, they also talked about this desire for their own recovery and for healing and for reconciling with their daughters. And for me, it was such a, a beautiful experience to hear their stories. Like I really felt that my mother was speaking to me through their stories. And it helped me to understand the complexity of addiction and the complexity of how addiction affects families. And it helped me to look back on my own story and my mother's story with, with new eyes. So I, I feel very grateful to be part of this team. Okay. I would also like to add that, as, as I think has been suggested by our conversation, yeah. that this is not a, a preached retreat. This is a retreat in which we're we're facilitating retreatants. Right. So there's no there's no us and them. And I remember on a retreat when one of the facilitators had shared because we share our fears and our building of trust and our brokenness as as well as the other retreatants. And I remember after one of the um, facilitators had spoken, one of the retreatants said. And I thought, my life was bad. Yeah. And so there's this great equalizer. Life is tough, yeah. and it's tough for all of us. Yeah. But then I would just add to that, when we're standing in the parking lot leaving at the end of a weekend, and they're all there just so grateful, and they're calling the staff out to give them hugs and say thank yeah. you, yeah. and they're forming WhatsApp groups among themselves okay. so that they can remain in contact. Okay. We just know that they've, they're leaving different from... They, from what they were when they came. Okay, yeah. And what does the Ignatian Spirituality Project hope to achieve in the future? For example, in expansion to other cities in Canada, Kevin Kennedy? That's that's one thing we're looking at, Frankie. Um, it's been so successful here in Toronto and, and in the United States, as I said, where it's in 30 different cities. Um, we'd like to and are looking at how do we expand to Montreal, okay. um, to Down East, um, Dartmouth, uh, Halifax, um, Obviously, Montreal, these are all places struggling with homelessness. And, and if possible, out west, uh, into Vancouver, into Victoria. Okay. And uh, you want to continue to go recruitment and the number of retreats offered in Toronto, Valerie? Is that uh, well, yes. I mean, we of course, we want to maintain our, our strength, our strong foundation here in Toronto. Okay. And uh, we've, we've got uh, very good relationships with the men's uh, transitional housing. I want to continue to increase relationship with the women's uh, facilities. Okay. And hope, I mean, my s fondest hope would be that all of our women's retreats will be uh, full. Um, we are already at a point where we're increasing the number of ret men's retreats in a year. We would like to continue to do likewise for the women. Okay. So that right now from offering two a year to offering three, perhaps four. Yeah. Uh, Sister Sarah, any plan to explore outreach to others who are homeless? For example, like those with mental health 
challenging challenges or newcomers? Right. Yeah, so we've been looking at some of the statistics around homelessness in Toronto, and we see that it's a very diverse population. So actually, there's a, a large uh, number who are newcomers to Canada. They might be refugees or asylum claimants. Okay. Um, but we also know that there are a lot of Indigenous people represented in the homeless population, as well as a surprising number of youth. So we are looking at ways that we might be able to adapt the ISP program or, you know, modify it in some way to serve these populations. Okay. So any final thoughts you want to... Just on that note of, of growing our experiences here in Toronto and the number of retreats we're offering and growing and expanding to new cities to start ISP or Ignatian spirituality projects in those cities requires funding. Okay. And as Sarah pointed out, we've, we've had so many generous donors, um, individuals, religious communities. Uh, people struggle when they meet somebody on the street uh, that's begging Okay. It's an uncomfortable thing for all of us. We never know what to do. Um, this is a program that, that helps put money into a space that's a real need, which is this spiritual journey that, that these individuals are on. So um, we're always looking for more support. All of our proceeds, any money raised, goes directly to um, running these retreats. And uh, we have no overhead. It's a volunteer organization. So any help that we can get that way just means we can grow. And that's really, um, in, a, in a wonderful way, uh, being able to grow serves this need. In a s sad way, there seems to be an endless need. So um, we, can, we really do hope to offer more because there's so many people that would benefit. Yeah, do you want to add something, Sister Sarah or Valerie? Well, I would say that uh, in my 70 years, I have never worked on a team okay. quite like this team. Okay. It's so totally satisfying because people love the work that they're doing. Okay. There's no ego involved. And we've talked among ourselves about how we are a circle, as just harking back to something that Sarah said earlier, we are a team that's serving each other exactly. while we serve each other, uh, while we serve others. And so there's um, there's kind of a, a mutuality there, isn't there? That's, that's powerful. It's, pretty, it's powerful. Yeah. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. I'd just like to say thanks, Frankie, for letting us to come here come here and, and talk to you about the ISP program and just to share some of our stories and the impact it's had on lives in Toronto. Okay. So thank you, Kevin Kelly, a Jesuit, a deacon, Sarah Rudolph-Loreto, sister, and Valerie Watch for telling us about this amazing project, ISP. And in the next episode, we will receive two seminarians. They will talk about life in the seminary of Toronto, Scarborough, and thank you all for listening to the fifth episode of Talking with Frankie. You can listen to the show on Spotify, iTunes, SaltandLight.org, and the Facebook page. Facebook page is Frankie Salt and Light.